welcome to Comagers. I'm Brad Costello. I'm Jim DeSanto. I'm Katie, and tonight we're joined by a special guest who is repping the Criterion Collection, Brian's favorite thing on earth. Close to it. Bob! (laughs) Welcome, Bob. Can we call you Criterion Bob? I'm sure. Why not? (laughs) We we try not to use last names because we're always nervous about like causing problems in people's uh, work lives, personal lives, whatever. (laughs) So we just come up with other names. Except for like halfway through the halfway through the episode, Katie will say your full name. No, (laughs) that's true. I usually forget my own. She usually forgets her own rule. And (laughs) that is absolutely true. We haven't ruined anyone's life yet. That we know. (laughs) Except our own. Yeah. <laughs> but that happened years before anyway. So this is just a continuing on. Uh, so today we are venturing into our first ever, which is shocking to me, Wes Anderson film as we talk The Life Aquatic with mm-hmm. Steve Zizou, which Zizou. I just Zizou. It's he practiced best, it about eight it's times. It's the best name. I've yeah. been practicing it all day. So I didn't forget. <laughs> uh, but first, as always, we must chat. And because I know already there's some interesting answers to this question. What are we drinking this episode? What does everybody have in store for I us? I just have I just have some bourbon. Um, so I'm, I'm not just going to leave Not a story. Not a story. Not there, a story. There are others that have themed. <laughs> Brian, drinks. why don't you tell us what beer you're drinking? I am drinking a Cisco Be- uh, Brewers Whale's Tail Pale Ale. All right. An amazing brewery on the island of Nantucket. Excellent. <laughs> well, we have some hardcore Wes Anderson fans in the commenter crew. Um, one of them rep- recommended ocean-themed drinks like Sea Breeze and the Sea... Sea Dog, I think. Sea Dog. I don't know what that is. Um, salty Dog. Salty right? Dog, is maybe that was it. But our salty neighbor, dog. who has actually Wes Anderson artwork all over her house... Um, she came through with a bottle of Campari and Ooh. recommended the Negroni, which I did make off of a recipe, and I have found the cocktail that is not for me. <laughs> this has been doctored so that it's drinkable. It, now it kind of looks or- like an orange soda. It has actually. orange juice Negroni, and Sprite in it the, now. <laughs> Negroni is not for the faint of heart. No. Like it, is a, it is a serious cocktail. Holy Hannah. I, that was, yeah. I couldn't do it. I think for your birthday this year, I'm going to hire Tim from Pop Addle to show up at your home and make your drinks oh, for you, Katie, before episodes. So they're properly. That's a great idea. <laughs> yeah. Because, I mean. Jim used to do that, but I get him just not wanting to do it yeah. anymore. No, he still he does t- sometimes. But when I get an idea for the the pod, I, well, I he try doesn't want to make it myself. Jim doesn't like to put his <laughs> name on subpar. Jim things. did have to go down to the neighbor's house to get me the Campari while I was yeah, putting the girls yeah. to sleep. So okay, he was well, a vital part of this equation. Criterion Bob, what are you drinking? Yeah. I also have Campari in honor of Steve. Yes. I just went on the rocks. Zizou. Oh, oh, look at that. And that's that's even had, more impressive in my opinion. I've had Campari twice now in my life. Uh, once <laughs> the, the evening after I saw uh, this film, the first time in the theater. Oh, how about that? And now 20 years, 15 years later. That's right now, so cool. Yeah. That's what we're, we're, we're I like bringing that. nostalgia. It's an anniversary of sorts. As, when, <laughs> yeah, go ahead. as harsh as it did 15 it, yeah. years ago. Yeah, it's not pleasant. No, yeah, it, I, when he broke out the pint glass, I really <laughs> thought Campari. Yeah. I was like, oh, because isn't it supposed to be a? It's a liqueur, isn't it? Isn't it supposed it's a to bitter. be sweet? Oh, it's, it's a bitter. It's aperitif. I see that. So it, I think it is uh, grapefruit based, right? Oh, and I love grapefruit. Would yes. that be a fruit wine? No, 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 no. No, no. <laughs> the like, changes uh, that I just made to it make it taste more like a Paloma, and so now it makes sense. Yeah. Now I'm getting the grapefruit, but it was just okay. yeah. well, you put grapefruit way juice. harsh. Well, you put grapefruit beginning. juice in it. Correct? No, I put orange juice and oh, Sprite. Okay. 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 It tricks you too because it's so nice and bright and red, and it thinking, smells oh, good. Series, yeah. Yeah, and and it seems to have a lot of sugar because the the. The cap on this is like encrusted that, with sugar. Yeah, yeah, I thought it was going to be delicious. <laughs> that um, could lead to an interesting morning. It is very, yeah. it is, as far as I can tell, because I did, I did smell it and have like a little tiny sip. Mm-hmm. Is that it was very sweet, but also incredibly bitter. Very bitter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, do we need to explain what the Criterion? Yeah, what, Bob, is? can you? Is there any do. chance you could give us like a little, you know, elevator? speech on what the Criterion Collection is for folks that aren't familiar with it? Um, sure. Um, for, you know, I, I, they talk about like being a, a, 
a um, curator of independent, <laughs> yes, independent. Or a visual here uh, of all my Criterion uh, movies for people, Bob, while you talk about it. Art films. Um, they come out with about six to eight discs a month. Um, so they're very strict with their curation. Um, they have uh, a lot of supplemental materials as part of their discs. Um, in addition to just the film, uh, great interviews behind the scenes, deleted scenes, um, all that stuff. Um, and then I, I always, I kind of think of them to be honest, especially recently as kind of like the vinyl of film. Hmm. Um, you know, people, you don't need anymore to, to, buy cds to to listen to music you don't need to buy uh, dvds or blu-rays to watch film but there's still something precious about the object and having it and and they do a really great job with their packaging and with the the things that come with the films um and so um yeah to me it's kind of like the vinyl of film um and and yeah and they they release films from the 20s and 30s 1920s and 30s all the way up through um a year ago um, when they come out with their discs. Um, and then they also recently, as of two years ago, have a, a streaming uh, channel that has a lot of the materials that come out on discs and a lot more and a lot of great uh, independent films and rare films and art films. Um, so, so yeah, I think that's a... Thanks, Bob. And that was great. People, yeah, that was perfect. people who like it are obsessed with it we and know what, celebrate when the website starts telling you what the releases are. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when you wait for a long time and they... Put one of your favorite films like the parallax view uh, yes finally <laughs> i've been asking for years for the criterion collection to do it they and finally we, listened we, and they know we all know nerdy things it took like you this, getting this platform the, the spine to, numbers you, you don't even the spine platform. numbers of it like this is 1064. you can oh, put gosh. them on a, on a shelf that, and have them all in a row that, uh, has a fun, that is a fun book too i think it's an amazing book in yeah, fact yeah. actually this movie has an amazing supplemental section of criterion stuff oh, including cool. an amazing documentary about an hour-long documentary shot while they were filming it love it so it's it's where it's it i think your vinyl analogy is perfect bob because it's so much more than just the movie you get like a whole platform with it that's different and they spend an obscene amount of time um with cleaning up the images the negatives and everything from actual film so for mm-hmm. example the great escape did an amazing job on their Criterion disc, which I watched for this one. It's a, it's a huge difference if you're into that type of stuff. Yeah, some fantastic restorations. I just uh, recently saw the uh, War of the Worlds from like the 50s. Oh. I haven't um, seen that one yet. Which I wasn't super familiar with. And um, it feels like a film that I wouldn't necessarily be attracted to, but the restoration, like the colors are so vivid and it's just like so great visually that um, I loved it. Also, the app is a steal if you love movies. Because yeah. they have new stuff all the time. If you watch it, it's fantastic. Uh, Katie, let's get into our movie with the rundown. All right. This is Kate Blanchett with the rundown of the life aquatic. What's her name in the movie? I forget already. Jane. Jane. This is Jane. Steve Zizou's. Zizu's best life is found exploring the ocean with his film and film crew friends living the life aquatic. The dream ends when his best friend gets eaten by a jaguar shark right before his eyes. This starts a crisis. His friend is dead and few believe his tale. His wife and financier is on the outs with him and moving closer to her ex, Steve's nemesis. A pilot shows up claiming to be his son, and a reporter gets a little too close for to his truth for his comfort. Will it all finally sink in for Stevie Z? <laughs> you made that movie sound a lot more normal. <laughs> Did it really? Than it was. I, I think don't know. so. I think yeah, the yeah, twists and turns there. Twists and turns in there. All right, time <laughs> to grade it on a scale of A plus through the rookie. <laughs> or as I will That's be calling the new it, bottom of the barrel, Chris Monero's the rookie. <laughs> um, Lord, Bob, save yourself that. Um, where would everybody grade that. Life Aquatic? Bob, would you like to start? What's your grade for Life Aquatic? 
Sure. Um, so uh, I'll, I rewatched it, you know, obviously for, for, for this. Um, and prior to the rewatch, it, w- it was kind of on my, my Mount Rushmore top four on uh, Letterboxd. Um, it was one of my favorite films of all time. Um, and I also rewatched the mother of Wes Anderson. I watched Bottle Rocket that I loved uh, in the rewatch. Um, but then I watched Royal Tenenbaums, which I was not feeling for whatever reason um, in the most recent time I watched it about a week ago. It just didn't click with me. It was still solid, but okay. So then I got worried about watching this, like, mm-hmm. oh, what am I going to think of this, you know, four years since I last seen it. Um, but I loved it. It was so good. Um, I saw it on Blu- Blu-ray for the first time um, and uh, just like hit all the right notes just the dark comedy bill murray is so great um you know it's for me it's it's still an aa plus um it's it's still you know it's gonna stay in my top four in letterbox for sure after watching it so excellent katie so i uh am not well versed in the wes anderson world i was trying to think i know i've seen the royal tenenbaums and grand budapest uh, I loved Grand Budapest. I did. Um, this fell in a little bit under that for me. Um, so I think I, I would give this an A minus. I feel like I I see the beauty in it and I really enjoyed the film, but I also feel like I'm not quite aligned with the like Wes Anderson viewpoint. Like it just feels like it hits a little bit to the side of my sensibilities. So A minus. A minus. Okay. Jim. Um, uh, Jim's checking the report card. I'm just looking at how to grade. Yeah, yeah. One. I'm just <laughs> based on my Jim scale. My based scale is scale. is a sliding scale. That um, <laughs> okay. I I think I have to give this um, like an A minus for me based on what I've scored others. Um, I have seen. I think I've seen most of the Wes Anderson movies. Well, we were big Rushmore fans. Yeah, yeah, I, lo- I, I like Rushmore it. a lot. Candy, you, you uh, never watched Rushmore when we watched it? No. But the Royal Tenenbaums never. I I feel like that didn't really connect for me, in a, in a certain way. Like I just didn't it. I didn't get it, or or the sense of humor wasn't aligned with me. Um, and then I kind of like was off, and I didn't I didn't really engage until uh we watched Grand Budapest. And I did love that movie. And then when you were gone one time, uh, you were on one of your girls' vacations, I watched, um, what is it, Moonrise? Um, Kingdom. Kingdom. And I loved that movie. I, and, uh, and I had never seen Steve Zissou until uh, this watch. Um, and I loved it. I, I am not mad at myself that I waited so long, but I, I should have watched this earlier. I did. I enjoyed it a lot. I The... And I feel like it's going to hold up for additional viewings in a way that yeah. not many comedies do um, for a number of reasons. And we can talk about them. But yeah, I give it an A minus. I, uh, I will go A minus as well. Oh, around yeah. the bend. Yeah. Uh, it's rare for us to give a movie an A <laughs> yeah. straight across the board. In, like, this in, is, in the, it's the this first is, one. The, no, no, no. We have. I we think we probably other. had some. Oh, Casablanca. Casablanca. Everybody yeah. Casablanca. was in the area. Now, here's the thing that's interesting about this movie, and I think it's kind of worth discussing as a starting off point. This was not a box office success. Mm-hmm. It only brought in half of its budget back. Uh, and it was, I think it might still be his lowest rated film on like Rotten Tomatoes and those, those type of sites. Uh, but I think... I think it has aged significantly better maybe than some of his early movies. Like when it came out at first, there was, I think with some people, a sense of pushback against it. Um, They felt it maybe was a little bit messier than Royal Tenenbaums or Bottle Rocket or Rushmore. But I've seen this now probably, probably three times over, over its life, you know, since it came out in 2004. Now, I, in my mind, probably always had it in the mid B range, but I think it this time I, th- I just thought it was significantly better. I don't know if I just connected with it more. I, I am wondering if it's the, if you get slightly, the slightly older you get, maybe you have more yeah. of a connection to it because of the story. Yeah. Whereas it came out in 2004, 
when we were young. And I think I, I might have overlooked it. Oh, I wish I could say stuck. this. I wish I could say this was like um, like Bob, who saw it in the theater and could say, like, kind of like we were with Lebowski. Like, no, we were on this right away. And well, we knew and this was good. It seemed like a real change and a real reverence and a real rise in status since it came out. And that's interesting that a movie does that. It's kind of almost shining like in that respect, right? That it yeah. didn't make the money that it thought well, and people were panning it. And now it just gets better and better as time well, goes on. I think that's part of it. And one of the things you said, the shining, I have started to think of Wes Anderson sort of as like the Kubrick of comedy. I was thinking that same because thing. Because he clearly composes every shot impeccably. Like he he thinks about every detail of every shot, um, and I always get this feeling that there is something else in this movie or in any of his movies that I've haven't quite wrapped my whole understanding around yet. Yeah, and that if I watch it one more time, something's gonna click and I will be yeah. enlightened. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, well, so and yeah. Why yeah. don't we let Bob yeah. start yeah. then yeah. with like so. As Wes Anderson, uh, I'm, I'll, I'll name myself a novice, a Wes Anderson novice. Um, what is it about this movie that speaks to you? You know, why would this be the one that you'd choose and what should we look for? Um, so like Brian mentioned, actually, I for I, when I you told me to pick a movie, I wanted to pick something, you know, obviously you haven't seen before. Um, so I kind of went through your catalog of podcasts and I was like, oh, my goodness, they haven't seen Wes, a Wes Anderson film or haven't talked about a Wes Anderson film on the podcast. So um, and, you know, this being one of my favorites and and Wes Anderson, honestly, being one of the top kind of uh, filmmakers on the Criterion Collection in terms of uh, just who people are interested in and, and just constantly like um, buying and, and searching and, and engaging with. Um, it seemed like an obvious choice to me. Um, and I, I, I love like this film because it hits on like all the big Wes Anderson themes, um, you know, parent, child, father, son kind of relationships, um, class issues um, that are, are, are big in some other films. Um, and it, really like the whole kind of um, meta part of this between kind of like the documentary and fake and real and, and what's real and art and, and what's fake and does that matter? And kind of like that whole theme is something that I really kind of engage with um, every time I see it. And every time I, I like appreciate it more and more and kind of get more out of that theme um, like every time. And, you know, that's, that's something that like is always front of mind for me whenever watching a film and especially something that's, a documentary and then this is a, kind of is like a mock not not exactly a mockumentary but um some other kind of i don't know yeah <laughs> not not really an in-between just kind of look at its own thing um so so yeah um yeah yeah i think it's great if, I, I, it feels to me like um like jim was saying like this is one of those movies that when you finish it you you know that if i watch it again i'm going to see something i think hmm. Um, maybe one of the reasons it's aged so well is the longer that a storyteller has been telling their stories in a certain way or making their art in a certain way, you know, the more folks have a chance to like understand their viewpoint. Um, and I think you're always going to have those folks that the first time they, they see it or they engage with that art, like they're, they're in, it speaks their language. Like th th it's like recognition of self and other. And then there's always going to be another group of people that are like, okay, I think I need a little bit more time with this, but I, I like I, I feel it, <laughs> and that that's how I felt watching this. I was like, I think this is my, like, I I can see it, but I'm not all I'm not all there yet. Yeah, yeah. Well, I I think too with Wes Anderson, it's interesting because I think Jim's Kubrick comparison is also a great example. I, I think Wes Anderson movies are for people who love movies mm. in a sense, like Kubrick does, because there's there's nothing necessarily simple about them. Like if, you know, I, I go back to like what we saw recently with some of the movies, like The Rookie, for example, which was a bad movie. Well, I'll double down on that. Don't watch it. But somebody who's going to like just want to casually watch movies can accept some of the things that we complained mm -hmm. about in that movie, like just the, the making of it, the editing of it, that some of the things that quite honestly, I think were sloppy. You don't get that in a Wes Anderson movie. Yeah. But you have to 
I think you have to maybe really love watching movies to watch it. Because yeah. if you're a casual mu- movie goer, Aileen started watching with me and she's like, is this purposely supposed to seem off or kind of bad yes. in terms of, and I said, yes, absolutely. This is just not bad. This is all. And she goes, okay. And then she watched a little bit, but she's a more casual movie viewer. She wouldn't like the rookie to be clear, but like <laughs> Wes, Wes Anderson is like a treat for people who just love the craft of making movies. Yeah. He, he, everything is purposeful. There's nothing, nothing happens you don't experience anything in this movie that was not his intention. Um, and the, there are very few directors, I think, that can pull that off, especially when we are talking about comedy and the things that he does. Because comedy in general is really, really hard um, to get right and make lasting. And then on top of that, he's putting all this other um, nuance to it that is just really, really special, I think. So, Bob, when you watched, can I ask you, you, so you you were talking about like Royal Tenenbaums, which a lot of people hold up maybe as his pinnacle. And I don't want to say pinnacle because that but a lot of people, that's their most known Wes Anderson. Maybe when he was really breaking on the scene, people talk about it a lot. Like when they say maybe not Wes Anderson fans only, but regular people, that might be one of their connections to it. What was different between when you watched that a couple of weeks ago and this experience? Was there something, what about this movie you think aged better or made you feel more connected to this film as opposed to maybe Tenenbaums? Um, I, so I think oh, it has a lot to do with the Bill Murray's performance. Like um, I really appreciated the range in terms of like how much of a jerk he is in some moments and then there's like some really kind of like sweet tender moments. I, I actually took made a note of this, which I never noticed before when they get the bond stooge in the elevator and he's like being so mean to him and he gets, he becomes sad, the bond stooge. And he's like, but I'm, I'm just a human. And Bill Murray kind of like gives him like a side hug and like pats him on the back. And he's like, I'm sorry, man. And like, like, and that was like, came across as very gen- like a genuine moment. Like he wasn't like being a phony kind of like, I need, you need to like me type of thing. Um, so so yeah and it like you know it's it's a film about a guy and the guy is played by bill murray and i i feel like you know all throughout the film like he just sustains like this great performance that i, that I really like love and and like so funny dark <laughs> way too um and in such a subtle way and like um yeah so yeah i love the fact that he so, and this is maybe why I didn't, I, I kind of felt the same way about the Royal Tenenbaums when I, when I saw it and, and watched a little bit of it again at some point. Um, but Bill Murray grounds this movie in almost in reality, which is funny because he is absurd. Like his character is absurd, but mm-hmm. everyone else around him in this movie is almost more absurd than he is. Yeah. And I feel like in Tenenbaums, there was no one. There was no character that sort of connected, I connected to in like a real or emotional way. Whereas this, um, you know, he's clearly going through something, and and it's almost like with Tenenbaums, everyone is just themselves. I don't know. It's hard to it's hard to describe the difference in in what's going on there and here. But um, Bill Murray is is pretty incredible in this. I, yeah, I was pretty shocked at how good. Was <laughs> and I know he's great, so like I I wasn't expecting it. So to it's be, good for you. I, yeah, I agree. Yeah. Even for him, who's very good, he's noticeably very good here. Yeah, well, there, there's such a vulnerability to his character and the the journey that you go on with the you know pilot slash son character and the reporter. You know where where you as the audience are learning with them. You know who's the real person and who's the on-screen person, and you know at what point do you do you get to encounter you know his humanity? Um, I think that's all done really well. You know, it, you know uh, us watching him always having a camera on him. You know how mm-hmm. that's just like the that's the you know mode of operation on the ship mm-hmm. is that there's always a camera on. And so it's almost that he's lost track of 
who he really is and who he is on screen. But uh, this, that, that's a, an interesting idea that I questioned in my mind as I was watching this is there even more of a connection to that idea now than even back yeah. in 2004, because we are all with social media living in essence some ways that we're, we're always on. Because yeah. I and maybe in watching it this time, and because it's been probably eight or nine years since I had seen it last, that's so much more prevalent now. And we're seeing more of that, like the deconstruction of what is the difference between people who are on camera and not off camera and the blending and getting lost in your life. And mm-hmm. he plays that so intri- like there's such an intriguing element to that in this movie. Yeah, I think we're all much more. And and this is part of growing, growing up and, and aging as well Is I think most of our um, kind of our radar for authenticity gets better and better. Right. And and we know when people are being inauthentic and when they're being real uh, versus when they're when they're putting on a performance. And I think that's sort of at the heart of this movie is, you know, what's going on. And, and I don't I don't want to skip all the way to the end, but that to me, the biggest moment is that moment when he's sitting with um, Kate Blanchett. Kate Blanchett, and he just oh. has the the line of like, "Oh, I did all, I did those things. I was, I was that guy." So. Well, yeah, he had said with the yeah. article, right? So yeah. she's like, "I read the article, and yeah. at first I was mad, and then I, you know, I am that full, guy. Yeah. yeah, and then I, and and I'm okay with that in yeah. some sense, right? Like so that's a huge moment for him. Self-actualization, right? Yeah. Of who he really, really is. is, and that I think when you actually sit and think about the movie which is one of the reasons i think it's a is a great movie is 48 hours later i'm still thinking about choices made in it but that line in particular to then go back and start thinking about that's where this movie was really trying to get me yeah yeah it is to that point and that's what this is about and everything else is awesome it's basically a day in the life type movie right like you're meeting all these odd characters or going on weird journeys, but that was all there and is beautiful. But you come away with that at the end, which is, is a pretty awesome idea. Yeah. I, I, um, I was just taken aback by the visual artistry of this film. Um, and I was just thinking, you know, there's, there's like a magical realism happening in, in this movie. I don't know that if that's the term that you use in, cinema but that's what we would say in literature um you know where there's pieces of it that you're like well that's not really happening you know whether it's the the crabs fighting each other and they're clearly you know puppets or um the, the, the fish or the the oh yeah it's all it's all animated yeah, yeah, so there's like just motion. little right yeah. um and i was wondering was anybody else doing something like that in terms of you know it's basically like mixed media right where you're you're taking a live action film and then mixing in animatronics Uh, or a little film called roger rabbit (laughs) (laughs) touche um well Well katie do you know know where some of those questions can be answered i wasn't thinking of those two (laughs) On the Criterion disc, which oh, has a whole feature tell on me about it. the stop motion um, <laughs> animation that was used for this film. Ryan, so you're going to have to me. go to Criterion.com. Oh, right. right. I'm just going to have to go there <laughs> and order yep. your disc. I want to learn all the things. Find out. I think my favorite piece of it was the pulling away from the set where you can see the, oh, so the, you can just, see the walls, yeah. you know, that you're like. It, I, I don't even know how to describe that effect where like it suddenly feels like you you are just on the set and not in the boat. Well, I mean, yeah. that that whole thing. Right. I mean, he goes and builds that set, you know, with the cutoff section of it to do that. That is such a Kubrick like 2001 or Nolan Chris Nolan move. Right. Like we're going to actually go and but then show you that it's thing. fake yeah but then show you that it's yes. fake is another right. level you know like yeah. comparing it to the great Wink. escape where we're you know we're looking at something made in the 1960s and they make you feel like you're in a tunnel underneath a cabin with these guys right and then you compare it to this where you're like oh it's a boat but it's not a boat <laughs> <laughs> it's a boat but it's a set but it's a boat <laughs> so bob Love if it. somebody's trying to get into 
Wes Anderson movies. I've, I've always it's somebody I've talked about with people. What do you think is one of the hurdles people need to overcome to kind of em, embrace him? This is I would not say this is mainstream. Right. So what do, what do you think a, a challenge with Anderson is at times that, or critique people have with him that it, that you that is really overblown? Like these are accessible films to people. I think they get scared of them because of the first few minutes, maybe, or how they look. Right. What should somebody be looking for who hasn't watched a Wes Anderson film that can kind of draw them or hook them in? Is there anything that you in particular love when you're watching a Wes Anderson movie? Right. Um, yeah, I mean, I think the, the, the acceptance of, of, you know, the self-awareness of it, it is a movie and it knows it's a movie. And so that's kind of like the whole the boat scene. It's like it's not trying to fool you. It's like I'm this movie. Here I am. Now, we both know this. I'm not trying to like be something I'm not. I'm not trying to be, you know, fake. So like don't 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 like resist the 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 desire to like think something should be realistic or looks fake or like just kind of accept accept that it maybe looks a little bit off and then ask yourself kind of why why that's the case um or what kind of what kind of reaction you have to that just beyond kind of like oh that looks fake or that that looks dumb yeah it's awesome all right let's talk about i mean we talked about bill murray and we could probably just talk about him the entire time let's talk about some of the other Jeff Goldblum per- performances. <laughs> All right. There is go, a scene. Katie, we go. There is us. a scene we, with Jeff Goldblum lying across the floor as he injured as he does also lie in Jurassic Park Sorry. that I found so damn funny. I, because if it's not a nod to that scene in Jurassic Park, it's a wild coincidence. You know, but this notion, first of all, Jeff Goldblum is just Jeff Goldblum, right? Like he's not, he's one of those people that he's not actually acting, right? It's just, you've just put Jeff Goldblum into a movie. And for some reason, it always works. <laughs> he is just that batty. And I didn't realize that that was really him until we started watching the Jeff Goldblum experience. Right. And it becomes clear that like, no, that's just him. Uh, I just found him utterly enjoyable when he's playing cards at the end with the pirates. I don't know. There was just something about well, that he's, visual. And then after, so the part you're talking about where he's laying down is once he gets rescued, he gets shot during the rescue operation and they get back to the boat and everyone else has changed out of their stuff and he is still walking around shirtless <laughs> with his his wound wrapped. Yep. Just uh, bare chested. Yeah. It's funny. Yeah. He's, it. he's amazing. Love it. it. Yeah. And there's just odd moments with him. So he has like the big massive ship, everything in like the opposite of what Steve has though. But when he crashes into that reef and Steve is Murray's just standing on the top of the boat, sticking like there's just weird things that I found funny that mm-hmm. you could just laugh. You, I probably laughed out loud like five or six times in this movie. And it's not even necessarily at dialogue. It's just like yeah. the way he sets things up. There's just is some so smart visual gags, like just some smart, composition where it just like catches you off guard yeah there's so many moments uh like willem dafoe oh i love willem his character is ridiculous klaus yes oh at the end you're you're 18 yeah 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 yeah. well there's so many yeah so so you know you're on the b team but you're you're the the leader leader of the b team team. (laughs) he gets so excited (laughs) when he crosses the line yeah wait that was hilarious say it again And, do it and, again. Do over. They do have over. a way, and Wes Anderson has a way with these characters of showing, like, how humans can be so goddamn selfish that they can't even hear what the other person's saying, <laughs> and they just react. But in any other way, like if this was like it's always sunny in Philadelphia, those humans are despicable for that reason, right? In this movie, they're endearing, and it's such a magic trick to be able to do that with the dialogue and their body language, and like, and it's almost like they're not so selfish because they're bad people. They're so selfish, and they react weirdly to the other characters because they're going through something, and the, and there's they all have their own journey, and it. I think that's sort of what he's sort of shining a light on, and it's, I I love that, and I, I think. You know, Klaus seems to be trying to like 
like he's jealous that there's a new guy who because he he thinks of himself like a like a little a brother or yeah, a son. Yeah, no, yeah. yeah, like they're his two dads. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't, don't, I love that. Don't let anyone make fun of me for that. I love that. I can't My promise you that. Yeah. I can't promise I love you that. It. I love him in this movie. <laughs> he's great. Bob, who's a, a favorite supporting character for you? Um. Yeah, I mean Klaus is the best. Uh, <laughs> I mean besides Bill Murray. Um. And he's not in it that much, but you know, it's just like those little moments um, that he, sh he shares with Bill. Yeah. Um, the, the interesting secondary character to me that I, I really re remember on my first viewing of it took me a while to kind of connect with was Owen Wilson was Ned in this movie. <laughs> and like this viewing, I was a lot more impressed with the performance maybe than previous times that I watched it. I think the first viewing, you get so caught up with the accent. I mean, like so ridiculous. Well, we've all seen but Knives Out by now, so I, we're I know. With it. But I mean, like <laughs> that accent, by the way, that he based off of Will Patton's accent from hanging out with him and on the Armageddon set. That's hilarious. Um, is is. It's like jarring. And then I do see like sometimes with the, the first viewing of this film, if you haven't seen it multiple times where then Angelica Houston has the line where, oh, he's not really his kid. Is he really his kid? And it, like you can get confused by that. And, and what is he really trying to do? But it's it's a pretty damn good performance by him. And I think it was one I, I underrated for a long time because Murray was so good and Willem Dafoe is amazing. Even I think. I shouldn't say even because Kate Blanchett's amazing, but like the way she has to play everything based off all this craziness that's going on. And she's obviously just as crazy as them, but is supposed to like maybe seem more put together from the outside in some respects. I just, I think the combination of how he pulls things off is impressive. And even Kate Blanchett who didn't find out she was pregnant. She found out she was pregnant in real life only I think a month before filming, which is why they had to work that into the film. That wasn't even originally part of the film. And that just adds a kind of cool dynamic that Wes Anderson says, now we're not going to shoot around. We'll just make her pregnant, I guess, which is a, I'm not sure you see many love triangles with a pregnant woman mm. in many films. It's that's something that's something I looked up after watching it. The most my, my wife and I were, discussing like was she actually pregnant and i was like no it's just part of the story it's like so perfect to have kind of like this pregnant woman when you're having like this these issues between you know father and child and and, and in fact she was pregnant with i think her second child at the time which is amazing I, yeah, totally and listen amazing. i'm also impressed like let's be honest hollywood's a fairly shady place the fact they weren't like get lost you're pregnant you know, i mean there's plenty of actresses i'm sure who have been uh kick to the curb when they say, oh, I'm going to be pregnant. I can't. They'll be like, no, see you later. Like, but no. And she's she's great in this. But like, there's something about her where, yeah, she's she can play. You would buy immediately that she's this respected reporter and all this stuff. But then she has some that when she's calling her uh, the baby daddy who happens to be her editor, who's married to somebody else. And she can play like kind of crazy, really and normal at the same time, perfectly balanced in how he had to deliver those lines. Before we move on to the music, which we have to discuss, of course. Uh, we do need to just also give Angelica Houston a moment. Yes. Because she's oh, phenomenal. Awesome. Very small role, but I love the way she plays the line of kind of distanced, detaching wife who also still really cares about him and yeah. his work like i i think that that's a very nuanced performance and she nails it mm -hmm. loved her oh, now fantastic. can we talk about the music uh <laughs> do you mean from the former member of devo the all, uh, 70s all 80s i want uh, i want all in on the music by the way Go. just a plug <laughs> another special feature on the criterion <laughs> disc 
is a 20-minute interview with the composer of this film about how he and Wes Anderson went into his basement and started finding Casio synthesizers to give you the sound of this film. Bob, I am a fan of your wife's playlists, and I believe one of the songs from this film was on her most recent creation, and I was like, what is this brilliance (laughs) that is David Bowie in another language? And then I watched the movie, and I was like, ha-ha! It all makes sense. <laughs> I loved it. So, so good. Yeah. So, so what do you, what do you guys think about like kind of the place of, of, of having like this Portuguese, you know, folk singer sing David Bowie all throughout the, the soundtrack of this film, but also be a character in the film. And um, yeah, it's weird. <laughs> uh, I think it works unlike yeah. in something about Mary. Oh, right. There, you remember that. Whole, yeah. So there's situation. like there's a hyper realism, like it, just like you were saying before, Bob, of the, the, you know, signaling to the audience like, yes, we know this is a movie. It's the it's the pivoting of, you know, the soundtrack for the viewer into the guy who just lives on the submarine and or, yeah. or the, on the boat and plays the guitar. Right. And and those moments where again you ha- you are very aware of like well he wouldn't actually be sitting there playing his guitar right like the, like right but it's right? not even just that it's also the choice of of it being Bowie like Ziggy Stardust era Bowie which is like another mask and a fakeness oh, that he's ooh. like putting yeah yeah it's, and, well, it, it's the also choice like is... a space exploration like an yeah yeah exploratory yeah. It's a, gender there's bending, a lot going genre on there bending yeah yeah well and. And so many of the songs are so familiar. Yeah. Um, but then, of course, he's not th- singing them in English. So it's like it's almost like a dream where it's like it's my house, but not my house. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, yes. I also think that the brilliance of that is this film is almost immune to tone. Like we talk a lot on the show, right, about tone, like the tones were mixed up. It felt like it was being this type of movie and then. It, it, it added in things like that. And, and that bothers us a lot of time. This movie, I think, is able to bounce around because of choices in music, visuals, right? The use of like David Bowie music, we know, but we're going to have it in Portuguese. The drink choices they're making, all these types of things. So you get the scenes we get. Then you also get crazy Bill Murray shooting everybody and it turns into like a action sequence better than the five bloods i would still say that this this film is one of the most consistent that we've seen like you think so well there's a tone but it's a wide yeah like he's you know what i mean by that like it's it's able to make deviations without you even being drawn to those deviations i guess is what i say you don't know like it it's not a big deal that all of a sudden bill murray starts shooting guns at people you're like I could see that happening. Right. Like, that's what I mean. Whereas in like another movie, you'd be like, this is weird. Like this has been kind of a satirical well, no, movie. Because funny, every bit of it that. has like a little bit of tongue in cheek, a little bit of at an arm's distance. So you, you allow it that flexibility. Yeah. Well, there, for me, there was like this point, I guess about three quarters of the way through where I stopped wondering if, there was going to be like a reckoning for all the fake movies that he has seemed to like, that's what I was wondering. Like, was this heading to a place where there was going to be a reckoning for his whole career being a fraud? Right. Is that what the, and then I stopped caring. And so like, that's also sort of a magic trick, which is like at the end of the movie, you still don't get the answers to whether most of it was a fraud. You just kind of know that the, jaguar shark was real mm. right like and so yeah and that could have been his one yeah thing, i don't know he and, and, but and i that, guess it's almost like with him it's like what is real like there's probably well, it doesn't matter like that's what it, he's right? saying yeah. like i was yeah. that guy so it, like you know and so yeah i i because in my head i when i watch movies i i can't help but try to figure out like if there's going to be a a kind of a twist or how this is going to tie up. Um, and most of that stuff doesn't like, I also had the feeling that something was going to happen with like Kate Blanchett. Like why was, she, why was she bursting into tears? Was there something more connecting her to this 
specific expedition and there's not and there and there's all these subplots that are happening that are sort of like like it was steve and were steve and esteban partners like were were they was were they my two dads yeah yeah yeah. And, and they kind of, they, they infer that a lot, but like they never come out and say it. And there's never like, by, and I don't want to say he's making it less important by not tying it up, but he, he's sort of saying like, it's not as important for the story that I'm telling, but it's important that you know who this guy is. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. I um, love the whimsy. It, like yeah. it's, it's, yeah. it's whimsical. And I think that at the end, yeah, there are, so many questions raised and I think you can watch it and probably interpret yeah. things well, differently. His, and that that's beautiful art, you know? Yeah. And I do think films that do that though, at times don't get the best reception right away. Oh, like it makes the viewer ex- work a little bit. Yes. Well, and people have an expectation. <laughs> people don't like right? having to work. People went into, we use the shining example. They went into the shining thinking it was going to be Stephen King shining and it was Stanley Kubrick shining. Right. They went into this one thinking it was going to be Royal Tenenbaums, Rushmore or Bottle Rocket. And there's elements of it that are, but it's also different. He wrote, he worked with Noah Baumbach on this one, which was the first time he hadn't written with Owen Wilson because Owen Wilson's acting career had taken off. Mm-hmm. So it was slightly different in that respect. And I think that people don't always love that, right? Like we, we have an expectation sometimes that a director or an actor is going to be a certain type of movie. And then when they don't meet those expectations, there is pushback against it. And, you know, certain directors are okay with only directing certain types of movies um, and others aren't. And I think this is, again, I think maybe that's why, Sometimes the ones that people are not as warm to at the beginning turn out to be ones that people love 15, 20 years later. Yeah, it's great. We're Everybody get- should go see this movie. The one thing I did want to just say is that I did like sort of the re- the reversal, even though it's sad, of the father-son like mending of the relationship. Usually it's like the relationship mends and the father dies. And it's like, oh, you know, and they do the reverse here, which is, you know, kind of subverts expectations to some extent. I definitely thought if anybody was going to die, it was going to be Steve for some reason. Um, and I just think that that's another just interesting way that he he just mm-hmm. twists what's happening here. Yeah. How about when the baby has a red beanie on at the end? Yeah, it's pretty great. <laughs> we'll all we'll get, get red beanies. Like we, could, we should get our ring. And we'd be remiss to not mention the clear influence of Katie and Jim's favorite film from last season of Comagers, Buckaroo Banzai, oh. uh, was all over this film. Buckaroo Banzai it wishes was, that it was the life aquatic. Uh, it was a clear inspiration for the end of this film. And in fact, uh, Wes Anderson has said, I was I had written it before they cast Jeff Goldblum, I guess. And he's like, I was I was happy when Jeff Goldblum showed up because then people thought it was an homage as opposed to me just blatantly ripping off the end of Buckaroo Bonsai. <laughs> All right. But there and the ring, just like the little Bonsai uh, rings, remember? Yeah. Lots of Buckaroo. You got to go back and watch Buckaroo Bonsai. Nope. Bob, are you not a Buckaroo ever. Bonsai fan? I was not familiar with it, but Don't Katie, watch it. Afternoon, I had to go look at that uh, the credit sequence. and I was like, yeah. wow, there you go. There it is. You, you have to watch Buckaroo Bonsai. That's all you need to watch. Nope. It Just will never be a criterion film. I can, oh, yeah. I can guarantee you that. Um, well, as a, another plug for the Criterion Collection, make sure you get your, if you want to, you should own this film. Just don't watch it. Own it hmm. and buy the Criterion. There collection. are also some really cool movie posters that exist oh, yeah. for these films. Oh, my the God. His, the collection. artwork. Amazing. And his brother, actually, Wes Anderson's Amazing. brother does a lot of the artwork. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Is, and he does amazing stuff. All right. So it's our time now to ask the question King of the Hill or Bottom of the Barrel is Life Aquatic better than Judas and the Black Messiah? Is it worse than Chris Monero's The Rookie? <laughs> Bob, uh, have you watched uh, Judas and the Black Messiah yet? Have you ever seen The Rookie? 
<laughs> no, I have not seen either of those. <laughs> watch Judas and the Black Messiah. Never watch The Rookie. Uh, let's start with Katie. Katie, <laughs> where would you place this film in the pantheon of Commager films? So it's so hard because I feel like this movie goes sideways instead of like above or below because it has such a like a clear perspective. Um, I'm still going to put Judas and the Black Messiah, King of the Hill. Um, but this is a really good movie. It's a really good movie. It's certainly not anywhere near the rookie. Not even. No. Shouldn't even talk about them in the same sentence. Yeah, uh, I, Jim. Yeah, I agree. It's I. I would put Judas and the Black Messiah slightly ahead of this for me right now. Yeah. Next week it could be the reverse. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Well, that doesn't help us right now, Jim. Does it? <laughs> I will put uh, this film above Judas and the Black Messiah, but they are very different films. Yeah. yeah. Um. But I. I am. I think Judas and the Black Messiah hits you with an emotional punch immediately and gets you thinking about things other than the movie for mm -hmm. long periods of time. Whereas this is a movie I want to watch again the midsummer very effect. quickly. Yeah. Yes. In different levels. But yeah. both are excellent and both should watch. And one should never watch The Rookie. In fact, I am now going it. on other podcasts telling people not Don't to watch, watch it. Jim and I are going on other podcasts and telling people not to watch the rookie. That's what mm -hmm. we're doing. Dennis it's Quaid's a public come for us. He's it's gonna... a public service announcement for everyone. Do not watch the rookie. All right, it's time for five questions. Here we go. You want answers? You want answers? I want the truth. Make some man, Mr. Lebowski. What the fuck is the internet? Watch. Why? All right, it's five question time. Jim will be asking oh. Bob five questions this week. Okay. Uh, number one, our thumbs up or thumbs down question. Are you thumbs up or thumbs down on boats? I am thumbs up on a afternoon boat excursion, <laughs> but um, any kind of like overnight multi-night cruise, mm. I'm yes. very much thumbs down on. Yeah. Uh, sea legs kind of suck. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Strong answer. Strong answer. Yeah, I agree. I'm not getting on a cruise anytime soon after ever. Go go beyond anytime soon. I think, ever. I, I actually had a I went on a cruise once before we went to an all-inclusive. You know, mm. we went to and then I realized the all-inclusive is even better and you're not on a boat. Yeah. So it's significantly better than the cruise. Agreed. I reworded this question that Katie wrote. Would you rather fly in a whirlybird over the ocean <laughs> or go in a submarine to the bottom of the sea? It's it's got to be a submarine. Um, I feel like yeah. I've never scuba dived. Um, hopefully I get a chance to someday, but I feel like scuba diving, submarining, it's like being in space, like, but you have all these like alien life forms around you um, and you don't have the hassle of like, the the blast off and all that goes with that so yeah. um it's somewhat it, it's funny because bob took that as like how fun it would be me i'm yeah. terrified of both that i was reading this is like no which is right. scarier i right. <laughs> we talked about this during the yeah. hunt for red october when we watched that like the idea of being in the submarine i like the idea of a helicopter but not out over the ocean I'd, and I'd, I'd rather be over the, the ocean than the land. I there love the tons. idea of the ocean, but I don't okay, want to be in that tiny vessel at the bottom of the sea. I, I think <laughs> it's safer. I actually think helicopter crashes happen. They're like dangerous helicopters. Yeah. We just don't know about the uh, submarine by the way, crashes, Brian. Can we just say like, the national security? There's a few lines in this movie that made me laugh out loud to me. It's more of like a, a little chuckle here and there, but they're they're like very funny. But when Owen Wilson says... When they're asking, can know. you fly? Can you fly a helicopter? He's like, well, I have, but I wouldn't call myself licensed or I'm, anything. I'm not licensed in any kind of a way. <laughs> any kind of a way, like, yeah, like Such a great who flies a helicopter without it. a license? Yeah, that's amazing. Next uh, question. Next question. Number three. If you could make a documentary about anything, it would be about blank. Um, I th I think it would be um, like. Not a documentary, but like a series of documentaries about working people. Mm. Uh, it's just really kind of interesting to me to kind of like find the, the, the beauty and the uh, and just kind of like the 
the dignity and like kind of everyday common work, you know, factory work, um, you know, teacher, hairdresser, you know, food cart worker, um, kind of day in the life of those would be super interesting to me. Um, actually, so I don't know if you guys are on the Criterion channel, but there's a, a film there uh, called Park Lanes, um, which is an eight hour documentary. So a working day of a bowling equipment yes. factory in Virginia. I have heard um, of this. It's I have not finished all eight hours. I watched about two hours of it. I'm impressed, Bob. It's on my list. I haven't gotten to it yet, so I'll make sure <laughs> it's, I it's fantastic. Um at least the first two hours is I, I don't know how it ends. <laughs> but um but yeah, maybe I was just inspired a little bit by by the existence of that. But I just kind of love that idea. That's awesome. I think that's a great idea. I think you should do it. All right, our favorite it. question, number four. What's your favorite island? So, so this was tough for me because I haven't been to many islands. Um, so I'm, I'm going to zag a little bit and, and go with Hog Island because I don't know if you know the etymology yeah. of the hoagie, but um, Hoggy's on Hog Island, you know, that's, that's where Hoagie comes from. So that's got to be my favorite island right there. <laughs> we didn't get to talk about that island that we he had. We actually that just talked about Hog Island. Amazing. Months, a few months ago, we were talking about me just learning that piece of information that you oh, just yeah, shared. That's true, actually. Yep. Mm -hmm. All right, number five, our deep thoughts question. Bob, what's your Criterion Collection sampler pack? Your five five movies from the Criterion Collection that you would recommend? Um, so, so I've got like a trying to be kind of like a diverse because my goodness, to just name five is difficult. Right, right. Um, but uh, first one I'm going to name is Doctor Strangelove. Um, it's it's great in terms of like the physical object, the, the the physical things that you get with the disc, the disc itself, the artwork you get, um, the the top secret art envelope with the plans inside for um, <laughs> the doomsday um, apocalyptic bombing run and all that. So so I think that's just great great representation of Criterion for that. It's one of my favorites that I have. Um, it's amazing. Second one is Spike Lee's Bamboozled. Um, this is just came out um, maybe a year and a half ago, two years ago on the Criterion Collection. Um, film that I saw like shortly after it came out in 2000. And it's always been front of mind for me when thinking about like the representation of African-Americans and, and art and, and TV. Um, and I only saw it once and it was just kind of like always like really just cut to the core of like some of its themes. And then I saw that they were coming out with the disc and I watched it again uh, when it came out uh, about six months ago. And it was, it was like held up even more so um, in terms of how strong it is. So I would definitely recommend that for folks. Um, see the third one. So this is just on the channel, um, but there is a series of, of short documentaries, um, maybe circling back a little bit to the, uh, to the, the uh, documentaries that I'm interested in making a documentary filmmaker called uh, Victorio Di Setta um, made these 12 minute shorts of 1950s Italy daily life. There's like 10 or 12 of them that have been restored recently. Um, they're just so amazing. Uh, there's one in particular about fishermen going out and it's kind of like this whole um, from sunrise to sunset, they like set up their nets in the morning. Then they're kind of chilling out in the sun in the day and sleeping. And then they're like catching the fish and there's all this drama and violence because they're tuna fish. They're huge. They're like dragging them into the boats. Um, the water's bloody. It's like pretty severe. And then it like ends with them like um, sailing away with a boat full of like a hundred tuna fish and like the sun setting. Um, and every single one of these is amazing. Um, they say Martin Scorsese, like loved this filmmaker and was super inspired by him. Um, and it's just a great kind of like, um, great, uh, just tribute to kind of what the Criterion channel has in terms of like kind of this rare thing that you would, it kind of like raises to the top and, and something that I would never even think about seeing like is, is just right there. How many pint glasses of Campari are drank during their fishing expedition? <laughs> I feel yeah, like the, exactly. the 1950s Italians are like, There's if you're going to go fight big giant tuna, you need a pint I, glass of Campari. I, am tr I try. I tried it by itself. I, I don't know how you're drinking it just on the rocks. I'm impressed. I'm it really is a punch pressed. in the face. What's he's going to go on a drunk and then 10 days later, he's going to go yeah. kill the shark. I have it mixed with a half of a glass of Sprite and it's still. I'm going to fight it. But I, feel I'll like let it, it is. I feel like you do need to fight <laughs> but it. But I'll let it live. I'll let it live. 
I've got a lot of water in mine, so it's so there. tart. Yeah. Uh. All right, two um, more films. Go. No, no, number four, uh, Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Oh, so I, good. So good. Like just feminist tour de force. I love the fact, you know, we're talking talking about this 1950s like Italian filmmaker, and this was just like super recent, like just came out, like critically acclaimed. Everyone that saw it loved it, and it was like right on the physical disc criterion collection right away and uh, like, immediately that was like one of those yeah. super fat like it was on hulu and then they said criterion immediately said we're doing a version of yeah it. and so that was just the fact that they, they can like turn films around like that and recognize them and just add them to the collection so quickly i thought it was so cool um and then number five um this kind of gets to the core dna of like i think the folks at criterion collection um we were talking earlier about the spine numbers being important and the fact that the, the spine number 1000 was like so important to fans and, and that ended up being a Godzilla box set, which is this like, just as an object is like this physically imposing thing. I think it's like 16 by 10 inches, this huge neon, like pink and yellow and blue um, hardback, like book with like these great Godzilla illustrations. Every film has a unique illustrator um, that does like a giant page within it. Um, so it's like 12 different illustrations all like on this theme and, and, and the fact that it's like kind of like, you know, fun Godzilla movie, not like, some obscure pretentious like abstract um experimental film it's godzilla i mean it's it's like a blockbuster like in a lot of ways um and so i i just love the fact that that was number 1000 um that's okay. awesome yeah and you're hard i will say this people are are so obsessed to love criterion that when these discs go out of print which they do occasionally um like for example days of heaven because Paramount is um, taking their whole collection back now because of Paramount Plus. This disc is selling, people are trying to buy this thing for like a thousand bucks on eBay. That's Claire's College Fund right there. Yeah. You have Claire's College not, Fund. I will in not DVDs. sell Days of Heaven because it is the most perfect cinematography in film history. And this is the Bex transfer of it. It's amazing. But that's what you get. These things like people will wait there's a couple of months a year where they have their criterion sale and you'll just see people wait and they just buy my mine is uh my collection is a is a pathetic example compared to what some people have i mean it is like people will wait how many they, criterion they, discs do you have brian 20 i think which is not good i've only started in the last two years to collect them but i'm also have the channel and i've watched in I watch ten, probably 10 to 12 movies a month on the Criterion Channel app right now. I think it's the best streaming app you can get for your money because it, it like Bob, all his recommendations, there is no app that has the diversity of choice that the Criterion Channel app has. You can watch if you have 12 minutes to watch something, you can watch something for 12 minutes. If you want to watch like a documentary series that's or something that's like eight hours, you can do it. If you want to watch a movie that's an hour from 1930, you can do it. I mean, it's got everything from every decade it's 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 oh. it is you both better sold than me yeah. i know what i'm asking for for mother's day <laughs> i got it as a christmas present well there you go buy it for your friends all right uh, any recommendations uh, yeah well bob recommended so much great stuff yeah, yeah. Mm. your turn brian you have you have something i in the have two lost in translation which is like this uh, watch lost in translation and and this movie back to back and you realize how tremendous an actor Bill Murray is. You know, it's, it's a, I think, similar in terms of who Bill Murray's character is, but played so differently and so perfect. You can watch it. And then another slice of life movie that I had never seen. I wanted to give an example of something that the Criterion Channel gave me that I had never seen. And it involved Jeff Goldblum, by the way. His first movie ever was a film called Between the Lines, which was like a slice of life, day in the life, of a, a magazine newspaper in Boston in the 1970s. And it's amazing. It's like this ensemble. It's unbelievable. Uh, and I watched it and it was one of those ones I just found on the Criterion channel because people, if you go join the Facebook groups or go to the website, they're just constant great articles and stuff that will open you up to these movies you've never heard of before. And next thing you'll know, you'll say, 
how have I never seen this before? And that was like one of those movies that was awesome. Katie has a book recommendation. Oh, good. I don't know if you've noticed I've been devouring books from Mm -hmm. the library. I've got about 16 next to our bed right now. There's a pile. I am surrounded by a pile. Um, And Trevor Noah's Born a Crime. I struggled Mm. to put it down last night. Mm. Yeah, people love that one. Outstanding. Outstanding. I'm making my way through um, Stephen King's The Gunslinger for the fifth time probably mm-hmm. uh, it's real cute. first time in like 10 years though i really it's like sometimes when you read they'll me turn that bed, into a real when you film when you too. pause yeah. and you read me a line yeah i like that. it's uh and i'm reading the uh, the um revised edition that yeah. he did i've got to read uh, that too after his car accident and yeah. it's uh it's every bit as good as i remember <laughs> mm. amazing those, those books were important to us fantastic where read them again yep well, everybody, please make sure you like, share, subscribe, review. Uh, check out our Shit's Creek podcast as well, the Shit Show. If you're not, we <laughs> episode break down five, episode, episode five's out there. Six is coming. We're working on it. Stay tuned. Coming soon. It's coming soon. Bob, thank you for so much for coming on. We need to have you back on again um, to talk Thanks. films. Appreciate it. Yeah, we would like you even if you didn't work for the Criterion channel. (laughs) I don't want you to think that that's the only reason that we've invited you onto the show. Um, If you quit your job, you can still come back. Yeah. Have you been (laughs) to the Criterion library? I have been in the closet. Yes. (gasps) My God. That's it. Brian's out. Brian is tapping out. Brian's imagining it's like the the. the white room from Mission Impossible One, where everything. No, I'm very toast. aware of what it is, toast. Jim. They, they, they put amazing pictures up of people when they go into that closet. Okay. It's amazing. It's Criterion films everywhere. It's, that's great. Um, and we will be back soon, everybody. Bye. All right. Thanks, commenters. Bye, everybody. Adios. Bye.